Turn with me in your Bibles. Uh, we'll be there in a little bit. Uh, John, uh, Gospel of John, chapter 15. Uh, as many of you know, but, but maybe not all of you know, the, the pastors uh, have decided that our church should participate in a program uh, that our association, the BMA, uh, uh, has made available through Disciple Guide Church Resources. It's led, uh, this particular program is led by Todd West, and it's called Activate. And what it is, it's, uh, it's, it's primarily a program for struggling churches, for churches to, uh, that are maybe seeing decline uh, and evaluating themselves and seeing what they need to, to maybe do to change, see some of their str- uh, strengths, some of their weaknesses, and how they can turn those weaknesses uh, into strength. And uh, I hope you would, would be able to say with me that, that Wyatt is not what you would call a church in decline. Uh, it's not a church that you would call a struggling church. But we as pastors just begin to think about the, the fact that, that we do need to make sure that we have a clear vision. Uh, that we as, as a church really do need to, to see where we are and see where we need to go. And so we talked to the, to the guys and we said, hey, you know, is this just for struggling churches or can this help our church? And they said, man, we've had, we've had strong churches go through this and evaluate and, and just, uh, just do some great things. And so, so no, we, uh, we, we, uh, we would love for you to be a part of it. We can modify it a little bit in some areas to, to make sure that it fits with what you're going through and, and what you need as a church. Because what, what happens if you just say, well, things are going okay, things are going fine, you know, we're having additions, we're, we're growing, the budget's okay, and, and you just begin to say, man, things are great, let's, let's just keep going like we're going, well, eventually you're going to become a declining church, right? Because eventually, uh, you know, there's always need to evaluate and see where you are as a church. You don't want to just coast. Um, so not out of desperation have we signed up for this program, but out of a desire to evaluate where we are and where we think we need to head as a church. And uh, we see this as something that can help us to move from our present reality to our preferred future. So it's kind of coming up with like a five-year plan. Now, understand, this program is not about uh, how to grow your budget or not even about how to grow your attendance or how to grow your building program and add more buildings. That's not at all what this program is about. This program is really about evaluating, are you making disciples? Are you seeing people converted? Uh, are your people reaching out to the community with the gospel? And so that's kind of one of the things we were, we, we, there was a pill there that that's what this program is about. It's about being a transformational church. So we've assembled a team. One of the things that this, this program uh, requires is assembling a team. And so we've uh, uh, assembled a team of about 25 uh, people that will help us as pastors. Because a lot of times we as pastors, we just don't have a clear view. Sometimes we're way too uh, optimistic about things. And sometimes we're way too pessimistic about things. And we don't have a clear view because we're here every day. And, and, and we, we just we need other people to come alongside us and and tell us your thoughts, and tell us where we are as a congregation. And so we've put together this team, and, and what we try to do is just, is just get a cross-section of the church and get a, a good cross-section of who we are as a church, young and old, people that have been, been here for, forever, and people that are new. 
people that have more of a blue-collar type mind and people that have more of a white-collar type mind, uh, people that, man, we, we, that are leaders and that are always stating their opinion, and, and other people that we think, man, they probably have a great opinion. Let's put them in a, in a context where they can give their opinion. And so we, we went across the board. I would like, if you are a member of the Activate team, if you could please stand. Um, if you're here today, I would appreciate that. So just stand if you're um, if you're part of this team. Um, and uh, there there are there are quite a few more that that aren't in the sanctuary right now. Um, but look and see who's on that team and realize that they're here to represent you. So please uh, be be willing to talk to them and and give them your thoughts on things. Um, Pray for these folks as they take on this important re- responsibility, and, and again, share your thoughts. Um, the first thing that we did, if many of you remember, back in the spring to kind of kick this thing off was a survey uh, called Transformational Church Survey. You you may or may not have participated in this, but we we got a, a, a what is a. a a good enough number of participants to kind of get a good idea of where we stand as a church. And, and so today and the next three Sundays, what we're going to do is kind of begin to reveal those results and kind of begin to think through some of the weaknesses that that uh, survey revealed. But before we get into the weaknesses, we want to look at some strengths that, that this survey revealed. Um, the, our strongest category is missionary mentality. Is that PowerPoint going to work? Okay. Um, our highest category uh, in this survey was missionary mentality. One of the uh, the questions in this in this particular area was that we we scored high on is this: leaders at local institutions such as schools, government agencies, etc have expressed gratitude that our church is in the community. Man, amen to that. Is that not excellent? So, so most of us as a church, we feel strongly that if we go around and we ask people in our community, are you glad Wide Baptist Church is here? Do you think Wide Baptist Church is making a positive difference in our community? Um they would say, yeah, we are glad White Baptist Church is here. That's awesome, folks. That is an amazing thing to have a church that, that the, not just the people here, but the people outside our walls and, and the leaders in our institutions in the community would say, man, we're glad that church is there. The second highest category, again, just an excellent category to, to rate high in, and, and that is just the fact that we are a church that's on mission. Um, one of our highest rated questions in that was, when our church serves in the local city or community, we look for opportunities to share the message of Christ. Man, what, again, what a great testimony that, that we feel, uh, that the majority of our church feels that we are in the community trying to share the gospel and, and preaching Christ and, and telling others about his love. And just, this is excellent, okay? So we can celebrate this. Uh, as a church, that, that we are a church that's busy, that's on mission. So let's go to the bad news. Our second lowest category 
was that of prayerful dependence. That was our second lowest category, and that's the one we're going to look at, we're going to talk about today and next week. As a church that is clearly on mission, which is great, we seem to be a church on mission without stopping to ask for God's help. Here are some examples of the questions in this category. Uh, Moments of spontaneous prayer in worship services, groups, or classes are normal within the life of our church. Um, we, people, most people feel like in our, in our groups that we may have like a formal time, but as far as just I mean, someone sharing a need and, and us saying, hey, let's pray for that right now, there's not a lot of that going on. Our church teaches people how to pray in their daily lives. Okay, so that's on us, right? I mean, that's on us that that you feel like we, uh, as the leadership, have not been involved enough in teaching you how to pray. And uh, another question is, I often hear people talk about God's activity in their life related to prayer. So most of our people feel like they don't hear people talking a lot about prayer that's going on in their individual lives. So putting all that data together, we would say this. If this data is correct, what it says about us is that while we are engaging in loving our community and desiring to take the gospel to our community, we are far too dependent on ourselves to do so. According to this survey, we classify ourselves as a church on the move, on the go, And that is excellent, but we would not classify ourselves as a church deeply committed to prayer. That's not good. But yet this also makes me very hopeful because I look around and God's doing great things, right? Like with with a lot of work that we're doing, a lot of involvement that we have in mission trips and in our community, God's doing great things with our lots of work and little prayer. So imagine how easily we can change that to the fact if we would just begin to grow all of our prayer lives and see what God does with a lot of work and a lot of prayer. What can God do that's not already happening? It's an amazing thing to think about. It's a hopeful thing to think about. I mean, praying's not that hard, right? It's just a matter of, of doing it and, and being dependent on God. Before we, before we move in and, and just talking about this weakness, I do want to say that it's not to say that our church is devoid of prayer, our prayer warriors, okay? We didn't get a zero in this category. This category was just lower than the other categories of our strengths. Uh, one example of, of something that rated high on, the, on, the, uh, on this category is prayer list. Uh, a system is in place to quickly transmit prayer requests in our church. That was a very highly rated question. So one of our, one of our strengths in our prayer life is, is everyone feels like, man, if I have a prayer need, man, I can get that on the church prayer list. I can get that, I can, I can fill out the connection card on Sunday, or I can call the church, and I can get on that prayer, prayer list, and, and they'll have me on the prayer list. The sad thing is, apparently we all feel like, 
Even though we can get on the prayer list, there's not a lot of prayer, praying going on about that list. But I do want to thank uh, Miss Barbara Pepper and, and Nona uh, Henderson uh, because they, are, they oversee that list, and, and that means that they're doing a phenomenal job in what they're doing and making sure that prayer list is up to date. And we want to, we want to say thank you to them for showing that that's a, for having that strength in our prayer ministry. And I also have to miss, mission, uh, mention our Wednesday night prayer team, a team that, that every Wednesday night is, is at the church and is praying and writing letters and cards. I've gotten cards that they've prayed for their pastor and, and people who have surgeries and, and, and all of that. They receive these cards from our prayer team uh, that they've been praying. And so, so I'm thankful for, for that area of strength, that, that group of people that's doing that. Not to mention the prayers that are going up in private that we don't know about. I mean, that's, that's to say that we need to work on our prayer life is not to say that some of you are not awesome prayer warriors. Uh, it's just to say that it's something that everyone, uh, that most people believe that, that we all need to kind of step up on. We're not a prayerless church, uh, but we need to grow in our, in our prayer life. So the pastors will and activate team will be examining how to strengthen this long term. But we did want us want you as a congregation to begin to know about these weaknesses and begin to think about these weaknesses in your own life. We want the entirety of the congregation to be thinking about this. You know, why it's strength as a praying church is going to come from the individual is the sum. All right. Our 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 prayer strength of our entire church is the sum of the individual prayer lives of the church and so i come before you this morning to just tell you hey we need to work on this we need to uh to rise to this occasion that we see that this is a need in our lives and to do something about it so this uh so today and uh and next sunday we'll just be looking at the subject of prayer uh and and begin to kind of think about how we as a church can improve this even before uh, we really delve into uh, into our vision uh, of prayer. Uh, next week, we want to look at some of the more practical aspects of how to pray. Uh, and so this morning, we just want to look at kind of a big picture view of the privilege of, of prayer. And I believe that, that Christ argues in John chapter 15 that the life that brings about the most powerful prayer is the life that is abiding in Christ, the life that is abiding in Christ. So John 15, verses 1 through 17. Jesus teaches this to his disciples. He says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears, uh, that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. 
okay? Get verse 7 here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandment, my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command that you will love one another. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we look at the privilege of prayer and who the privilege of prayer belongs to, God, I pray that you would move us just with the great joy and satisfaction and encouragement that, God, powerful prayer belongs to every believer. God, move in our hearts. God, help us, grow us our hearts towards prayer this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I have to admit something to you. I went into this text wanting it to say something totally different than what I realized it said. Um, That's the thing about trying to preach the Bible, is that you get involved in that scripture and you realize, man, that didn't say what I wanted it to say, so I got to go another angle. I came at this text with those verses in mind, the two verses in there that say, man, ask whatever you wish and it'll be granted for you. And I thought, man, that's powerful prayer right there. And, I, and I'm very familiar with these verses because, man, the, that, those pictures of the vine and abiding in Christ. And so what I thought this verse was going to teach us this morning was how to be an abiding Christian and how to uh, to be kind of a, a top-tier Christian, like, like, like this abiding word is something that is referenced for like the top-tier of Christians, like we need to be abiding Christians. And if we're abiding Christians, then God will answer the prayers that we have. The only problem is, is that when I began to study the text, what I realized is that Jesus isn't speaking of any top-tier Christianity. He's speaking of Christianity in general. When he speaks of abiding, he, uh, this word abiding is something that, that I kind of saw as this supernatural word that, that had all these supernatural meanings of like, this is a Christian that's really got it and get, getting it together, one that abides, like he's really close to Christ. But the meaning of that word in this verse really means nothing more then stay. Stay with Christ. Stay in His love. And so what we have here is Jesus really speaking of what 
is true of every Christian. Of what should be true in the life of every Christian. And that is that we stay with Christ. Are we abiding in Christ? And if we have been given, and, and if we are abiding in Christ, we have the privilege of powerful prayers where when we pray, God moves into action. God answers those prayers. So we see a couple of indications in this, in this text of how to know if we're a disciple of Christ, how to know that we are staying in Christ, that we belong with Christ. And, and the first thing is that those who abide bear fruit. Those who abide bear fruit. So the question is, what is this fruit? Okay, it tells us that, that we are to bear fruit. What's that talking about? Well, it's not too hard to understand. Now, there's a lot of scientific stuff that they've done with grafting different types of branches in and, and, and doing all kinds of crazy things with trees. But naturally, what happens to branches that are plugged into the main vine? They bear the fruit of the main vine, right? If it's, uh, if it's green grapes... Uh, a branch and it's plugged into a green grape vine, main vine, it's going to produce green grapes. If it's an apple tree and it's plugged into a trunk that's an apple trunk, it's going to bear apples. And so when it says bear fruit, what it's speaking of is to bear what Christ bore in his life when he walked this earth, it's not hard to understand. We read the Gospels and we see the things that Jesus was about. We see the things, the way Jesus treated people. The things that he didn't do and the things that he did do. And those are the things that if we're Christians that are plugged in to the, brand, the, the, the main vine of Christ, we're going to bear Christ's fruit as simple as that because this vine it stepped out of heaven it wasn't just it wasn't that that jesus said hey i'm up here and y'all go do some good stuff i mean jesus actually came and walked this earth and we have it recorded throughout the gospels of what that looked like and jesus is saying go and do likewise bear the fruit that i bore in my life when i walked this earth of course, we can also look at the fruit of, spirit, of the Spirit. Uh, one of those places is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so if we are to say that we know Christ, that we are staying with Christ, that we're abiding in Christ as a Christian, we would have to be able to say, here's my fruit. Here's, here's how my life is bearing fruit like Christ. Now, we don't look just like Christ, right? That's, now, our lifelong process is trying to get a little more, just a little more like Christ with each day. 
But there's, there should be evidence, there should be fruit that's coming out of our lives. And what does this fruit do? This fruit confirms those who are abiding, who know Christ. This fruit confirms in our hearts um, that we know Jesus. Every branch, it says, in me that does not bear fruit, the Father takes away and burns. And so this can be kind of confusing because we, we see other texts that talk about being in Christ as, as referencing salvation. But we hear this text says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit is taken away and it's burned. And so what Christ is saying is that, and, and he's, there's kind of a theme of this throughout the surrounding chapters. What he's saying is, there's people that look at first like they're in Christ. They look, and, and we know in, in just a couple of chapters ago, he's talking about Judas. And he says, hey, all of you are clean. One of you is not clean. One of you is not saved. One of you is not truly in me, in the saving sense. You may be... He, Judas may have been with him, and he looked great, and man, he was so trustworthy, they gave him the money, but in reality, he wasn't truly, truly a branch that was, that was given to bearing fruit and showing that he belonged to Christ, that he was staying with Christ. He didn't stay with Christ, showing that he never truly knew Christ. And this is in the parable of the sower, right? We, we, we see all the different seeds fall in different uh, types of soil and some of them fall in the shallow and rocky soil and what happens they spring up and they look great at first but jesus says they have no root and so they die and that was judas and that is some people that at first the branch bears leaves and it looks good but it never bears fruit verse eight is is, is important for it says by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's an important, uh, important verse because you're not made a disciple by your fruit. The fruit proves that you have been made a disciple. See the difference? And so there is this, this in the Christian life of the Christian who's truly a believer there's this aspect of desiring and going after bearing fruit. Okay, fighting for, for bearing good works and doing the right thing. There's a fight in the heart of every Christian. But there's something else in the heart of every Christian. And that is that those who abide also abide in the love of Christ. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So make no mistake, okay? The Christian life is not Jesus coming to you and saying, hey, I just cleaned you up. All right? I'll see you in heaven. All right? I've saved you. Now go do some good stuff and I'll see you in heaven. That is not the Christian life. Life, all of the fruit that comes out of us comes from an extreme dependence upon Christ. 
Jesus gets me going with my justification. Jesus empowers me throughout my entire sanctification. And one day Jesus will bring me to my glorification. The singular most important aspect of a believer's life is how much are you living in dependence of God's love? We do not draw close to, the, to God in the confidence of the fact that we do good stuff. We draw close because we, we know our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? No, we draw close to God on the basis of Christ's love for us. We've been made clean with His love. We've been made clean with His love. Verse 3 says, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So Jesus is saying to them, Man, you've been saved. I've already cleaned you up. It's been done. Now we're going to, uh, back in uh, John 13, 10 and 11, if you want to uh, look at it uh, later, um, he talks again about making them clean, and he says, but not all of you are clean, referring to Judas. And so what he's saying in the text is that I've done the work. You have been saved. He's saying something that, man, I've done it. It's not your works. It's not your fruit that's made you clean. I've already made you clean, but the fruit, the existence of the fruit is the indication that I have made you clean in the past. He empowers our fruit uh, bearing with His love. He empowers our fruit bearing with His love as well. It says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. We are absolutely dependent on Christ for the fruit that we bear. Absolutely, it's our fruit. It's our fruit. But the only true fruit we, we bear will come through us because we were abiding and staying with Christ and depending on Him and resting in His love. Folks, we have got to make sure that as we are a church that is out there doing, that we realize that nothing we can do, okay, no, no Hispanic outreach, no outreach to the inter internationals, no mission trip, no mentoring at the schools, none of that will amount to anything unless it is coming from people that are absolutely every day depending on on the love of Jesus Christ. Because it says here, apart from me, if, man, if you're just out there doing stuff, man, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of people out there that don't love God that are feeding the hungry. And Jesus says, if, if it's not for me, if it's not coming from a place of loving and serving me, then you can do nothing. It's going to be work that never will prosper. Yeah, they may be they may, if you feed somebody, it's good that they'll be, be, not be hungry the rest of the day, but they'll have no eternal significance unless it is fruit that is born out of abiding with me. So the two things 
going on in the heart of every true disciple that Jesus is referencing here. There are two things going on in, in the heart of every true believer, and that is, first, it is a fight to bear fruit. To fight against sin and to bear the same kind of fruit that Jesus bore. And the second thing is that at the same time you're fighting to do good, to be like Christ, you're also resting in the love of Christ, realizing that the greatest thing about our fruit is that it points to our dependence on Christ. Very important. Philippians 2, 12 and 13 kind of speak of this, this struggle in the heart of the believer it says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thirteen is very important. You keep reading. What does it say? Work out, end uh, of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's your responsibility to fight for obedience and all of that. But verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It says, man, work hard, but it is God working in you. Always re realize again that you're attached to the vine. And your work will only prosper as you are attached to the vine. And so, finally, all that's bonus to say this about prayer. Is that those who abide have the privilege of powerful prayers. And if we're to take this, this scripture at face value, what he's saying is this isn't some top-tier Christian that I answer all their prayers. This is the Christian. The Christian who's demonstrating that they have fruit. The Christian who is demonstrating a rest in his love. He, he answers our every prayer. Now, of course, that doesn't mean you praying for a new car, necessarily. That means... The fact that you're so connected to Christ, you're so abiding in Him that the prayers you pray are prayers for His kingdom and prayers that, that He will get the glory from and therefore He gladly answers them. One more time, I want to read verses 13 through 16 and close with a few thoughts about it. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Think about what this text is saying. He's saying, you are not servants any longer. You are my friends. 
you know, servants don't really participate in the mission. The servants are just kind of there to take care of the master. But Jesus says, we're not like that. We are, we are friends that he has invited to be a part of the work. And we've been told everything that we need to know to be his friend and to work alongside God in his work. We were appointed to go and bear fruit so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, y'all, I've been so guilty as someone who, I love the sovereignty of God. It's gotten me through some rough times to realize that God is in control. But I'm so guilty of times of so elevating the sovereignty of God, that I forget about the fact that I have been called his friend and that he has determined to do much of what he does through me asking him to do the things that he's called us to ask for him to do. He is so sovereign he didn't just say, hey, this is how it's going to turn out. But he sovereignly orchestrated all the things that are going to happen to make that come about. And often, often, often in the scriptures, one of the means that he uses to make that come out is the prayers of Christians. It's not that it's not that he couldn't do all that he wants to do without our prayers. He could. He's God, right? It's not like our prayers are giving him power. He's omnipotent. But what this verse says is, man, you're my friends. You're not just my servants, you're my friends, and I want you to be a participant in what I'm doing. And one of the ways you participate in what I'm doing is, man, ask for it. Ask for salvations in El Dorado. Ask for salvations in the schools where we're mentoring. Ask for salvations in our Hispanic and international ministry. To, yeah, be involved and do that. With, there's, without the do, I mean, it's awesome that we're, we're being obedient by doing these things. We're doers of the word. We're being obedient. It's not that we're being, it's that we're not being fully obedient, which is the doing that is accompanied with prayer. Paul understood this. In 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he asked them this. He said, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. Man, Paul saying, man, I've got to go do this work, but pray so that, man, before I even get there, God's at work through your prayers. Colossians 4, verses 3 and 4 says, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Listen, folks, if Paul, the apostle, felt absolutely dependent that before he went and did a work, that he had 
Christians praying for him that he would be successful in that work, then how much more ought we to realize that we must be absolutely dependent on God through prayer and ask him to do amazing things. Ask him to change Eldorado through our church. Ask him to convert the friend that we're about to talk to about the gospel. You know, sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like we're power tools. You know, if you go out to your shop, you have power tools. And sometimes I feel like we're out there with power tools and we're unplugged. And you can take the power tools and maybe with a lot of work and a lot of time, I mean, the, a lot of the instruments are sharp. Maybe if you work hard enough, you'll saw through a board, right? Maybe we'll get some stuff done, but good grief, when you plug that sucker in, wow, there's great power there. And sometimes I feel like we've got these, these great tools of, I mean, it doesn't get any better than the gospel, folks. Like, like what better tool can we have than to go out to our community and tell them what Christ has done for them on the cross? But at the same time, I think sometimes we're leaving those awesome instruments unplugged from the power source of prayer and asking God to do something amazing with the gospel through my work. And so let us think about our lives, our individual lives, all of us. And first of all, ask yourself if, can I fully call myself someone who is staying with Christ, who, man, I'm, I'm trying to bear fruit. I'm trying to, to be who he's called me to be, be. I'm trying to be more like Christ. And two, man, I'm resting and believing in his love for my salvation. First of all, ask yourself, make sure that that's true of you. And then realize that that's true of you, that God has given you the capacity for amazing powerful, successful prayers. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment as our musicians come. I'm not about to try to make you feel guilty. I just want you to live in the reality of your prayer life. Because it's only when, when you, we, we as a church, we have to know our reality to get to our preferred future. Same way individually, we need to know where we are in prayer to know where we need to go. So I just want you to get a real picture. How much time did you spend today and yesterday praying that God would do something amazing in your hearts and in the hearts of others for this, this service right here. When you look back over the last week of your life, how much of your prayer, apart from tucking the kids in, If people looked at your 
prayer life. Maybe you say a quick prayer over the meals. You look beyond that. How many people would say that this is a person who's dependent on God in life? How much did you pray last week? Maybe you just had a bad week. So think about the week before. How much did you really spend praying that God would do something amazing in your life or use you as a tool to do something amazing in someone else's life? Honestly evaluate yourself. Dear Heavenly Father, God, God, if we, in the reality of our thinking about our recent prayer life, God, if we, if we see so much that's wanting, so much that's needing to change. God, I pray that you would move us in this moment to realize God, help us just to be convicted and and draw us, not just God, we don't want to guilt, we just we want action. God, help us to not just feel bad and guilty, but to move into action of being people of prayer that are absolutely dependent on you. God, move in our hearts. God, make us people of prayer. God, if there's someone here who knows they have no fruit, they know that they're not staying in the love of Christ, God, I pray that they would respond to your gospel this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.